continue uh, with the message. My lovely wife is handing out coloring books. Um, we are doing, uh, we normally do coloring pages for folks with short attention spans. Aaron, if you need one, you're... <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all you, man. Um, Normally we do coloring pages because it's Christmas and I wanted to do something different for Christmas. Uh, we have coloring books and, and so um, if you uh, receive one of those coloring books and crayons, um, the, the one thing I ask is you take them with you when you go. Um, because I, uh, I, I don't have enough room on my fridge for Abby's coloring, much less your children's, and I can't just throw stuff away. I actually can, don't tell anyone. Um, we're going to pray and we're going to have a look at the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning and help us to open our hearts and our minds and help us to uh, hear what you have for us to hear. Um, especially, Lord, I, I want you to, uh, I, I'm asking that you would, would uh, touch my heart and touch my, uh, my, my mouth and, and have the words that come out of my mouth be your words. Help me to reflect you in all things. In Christ's name, amen. I, uh, how many of you all have watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special? Anyone? Just the first one, not the second one, because the second one's not good. The first one's the one that Charles Schultz was like heavily involved in, and I think he may have been senile when the second one was made, but it is, it is not good. I think it's all sequels. I can't think of hardly any sequels that are better than the original. I don't know. Anyway, um, so uh, Charlie Brown, one of my favorites. Like I, I love Charlie Brown. I love the, the, the spot at the end where, where Charlie Brown, like he spent the whole cartoon, he's wandering around trying to find the Christmas spirit, and everybody has advice for him. You know, hey, if you want to have Christmas spirit, then you need to do this. And then you need to do that. And then you need to, you know, you need to direct a Christmas play. You need to buy a Christmas tree. You need to decorate that Christmas tree. You need to, and he's got this whole long list of things. And he just spends his whole time hustling, trying to be in the mood for Christmas. Does anybody relate to that at all? Really, it's just me. Seriously. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy thing. And there's this, this mindset, I think, and, and Charlie Brown adequately reflects it that we've got to kind of push ourselves into this, this, I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> Darn it. And, and it's almost this, this drive. Like, it has to be fun, and it has to be seen, it has to be these things. Um, and ultimately, like, like what, what Charlie Brown does really well, that you don't see in a lot of other spots, Charlie Brown does a great job of demonstrating that if we're going to be excited about songs and about presents and about plays and about all of these other things, we're missing the point, right? Like, if you're going to be excited about those things, you might as well not be excited because if it's stuff that happens and then goes away, it's not worth being excited about. Um, there's a, I can't believe, I wasn't going to use this as a sermon illustration, but it's, it's stuck on my tongue, so I've got to say it. Um, there's a movie, The Life of Brian. Nobody should have seen it. It's offensive. Um, it's a Monty Python film, and, and in the story, at the end, Brian, the main character, um, he's a Jewish man in the first century, and he becomes involved in a revolutionary group against the Romans, and they crucify him for it. And in the end, he's hanging there on the cross, and he's upset, and he's mad, probably because he's being crucified, um, and he's complaining about how rotten life is, and the guy next to him says, no, don't be sad, you should sing. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? He says, well, life is crummy, and everybody's going to die, so you should sing and enjoy every moment you've got. And, and they have this ridiculous scene where they're all singing, always look on the bright side of life as they're being crucified. 
Like, <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. Um, but it's sort of in par with this, right? Like if we're going to sing and celebrate about something that's just going to go away, we're missing it, right? When we sing and we celebrate Christmas, we're singing and celebrating like the birth of Jesus, the birth of, of God come into this world to be one of us and, and to experience all of our frailty and all of our hurt and all of our lostness and everything else. We're singing about God being one of us so he can relate to us and then taking all of our sins on him so we're all free. Like, that's worth singing about. That's a singing that celebrates something that goes on forever. Like something that doesn't end when we put all the tinsel and other junk back in a box in the basement. I can't believe I just called it junk. I can't believe I just talked about the life of Brian in a sermon. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble eventually. Um, we're working this month through... Um, um, the first two chapters of the book of Luke. And so if, you, uh, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, that's right there, first two chapters. They're long chapters. But Luke, when he wrote his gospel, he gave us um, something sort of funny. First off, he's writing to Greek Gentiles. And because of that, he takes on a very specific writing style. And one of the elements of that is lots of songs. It's like reading, you know, a musical. And, and we don't catch it because the words don't rhyme in English because Hebrew isn't English or Greek isn't English. Everybody got that? Like, um, there's a bunch of stuff that gets lost, but it's a musical. It's a first century, probably one of the first musicals ever written. Um, it's the first Christmas musical, to be sure. Um, and so, like, he regularly, characters break out into song. Um, he touches on a bunch of major themes. And, and I didn't talk about this last week, but I want to I hit it here. Um, as Luke writes his book, he emphasizes things that are not emphasized everywhere in the Bible. Like, and he emphasizes them because when he... He says, when people read about Jesus, I want them to know Jesus loved poor people. Jesus loved people who mess up. Jesus loved people who, loves people who fail. Jesus loves people who need him. Right? What is it that Jesus said? He said, uh, it's not the healthy folks in the world that need a doctor. It's the sick, Right? Jesus ain't here looking for, or Jesus didn't come looking for folks who had it together. People who could say, oh, I don't need God because I got it all nailed down. He came looking for folks who needed him. He came to rescue folks that needed rescuing, which is all of us, by the way. Um, but his major themes, he pushes this over and over again. Um, is, is, it's kind of the gospel of, of, of the poor, and it's the gospel of women. Um, because Luke, more than any other gospel writer, talks about women and their role in the ministry of Jesus and everything else. Like, he emphasizes that in a culture that didn't care. It didn't actually, worse than didn't care, didn't like it. Um, now, the song that Mary sings is what we're looking at today. Mary um, finds out that she's going to have a baby, and she, she sings a song. Um, and, and this song is right after Zachariah's song. So last week's sermon, um, well, it's actually right before Zachariah's song. I cheated. Uh, Zechariah finds out they're going to have a baby. Then Mary finds out she's going to have a baby, and this sermon happens. And then, like, at the end of this period of time is when the Zechariah thing happens. So, like, I'm out of order. I'm so sorry. It worked better this way on paper, um, except when Luke wrote it. Um, all right, so we're going to jump right into Luke. This is uh, Luke 1, 26 to 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now we're going to hit pause here. Luke's readers would have no idea where Nazareth is. And here's the reason. 
it was absolutely nowhere. Got it? It was smaller than Loma. I know it's hard to believe, but it's possible. It is so small that for many, many years, archaeologists thought it may not have really existed. And they found it just a few years ago, the archaeological evidence of Nazareth. And it's like four houses. There is nothing there. It is absolutely the smallest town anywhere. And if you are a Jewish person, by the way, just a little aside, Galilee, like they made fun of those folks. It's like the West Virginia of the ancient world, right? In fact, actually, when Jesus starts his ministry, somebody says to him, you know, you're from Galilee. Can anything good come out of Galilee? And it was a saying that people had that everybody knew. It's like, can anything good come out of West Virginia? Nobody's from West Virginia, right? Good. Um, <laughs> so the sixth month, this angel, Gabriel, who literally, by the way, this is angel, the, the, uh, Gabriel, the angel, was the one who talked to Zechariah. All right, so he's got, like, he's the messenger for God this week. Like, he, he's doing a lot of running around and a lot of speaking to folks. He goes from standing in the very presence of God to backwater nowhere, Israel. Um, so a city, of, a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, engagement in our culture means something different than it did then. Um, here's a quick fill-in. Like, once a woman was engaged... Um, she wasn't married until they moved in together, for starters. Like, the marriage would involve him showing up, collecting up his wife, taking her home, and they would have, like, a week-long party, right? Um, and so, like, like the, the marriage happened literally when she moved in. So she was a virgin until she was actually, like, married to him. Um, and it was a pretty typical thing um, for this part of the ancient world. And, and the other thing that goes with this is that Mary, as a virgin, right, um, if she were not a virgin while she was engaged, like if she suddenly went out and like, you know, went on a date and whatever, um, that was awkward. Uh, if she was suddenly not a virgin for whatever reason those things happened, it would be considered adultery even though they weren't married, right? And in Jewish law, you're, you know, you had legal obligations from the moment you got engaged. So you're engaged, you were, you know, that was it, right? And it was adultery to cheat on your engaged person. Like, um... So, so the marriage law applies. Um, so she was uh, engaged to a man named Joseph um, of the descendants of David. Now, David was the second king of Israel, right? And David's huge to Jewish folks because God promised David that one of his descendants would be king forever, right? Like there's this promise God makes to David specifically. One of your descendants will be on the throne in this country forever and ever and ever. And he's talking about Jesus, but he mentions David because it's a big deal. Um, and the virgin's name was Mary. And in coming to her, he said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Um, there's a word play here we're going to get to in a second. Um, well, actually, no, we'll do it right now. The Lord is with you. Um, this phrase um, is almost pronounced Hannah, right? Like in Hebrew. He's writing it in Greek, but it would have been spoken in Hebrew originally. And, and Luke wrote it. His audience wouldn't get it. But if you know any Hebrew, you would catch this. Hannah was the father, or the mother, not the father, the mother of Samuel, right? Samuel was one of the big, serious, great prophets in the Old Testament, right? Um, and she wrote a song after she found out that she would have a baby, even though she didn't think she could anymore, Right? And so part of what the angel did, Luke doesn't do it, but part of what the angel did is he points back 
to a previous miracle involving a great prophet being born, um, even though there shouldn't have been a baby born at that point, because I believe she was very old, but I'm not positive uh, off the top of my head. Um, and so he, he reminds us of Hannah. The other reason that's important is the, the song Mary writes is almost like directly parallel to Hannah's song. In the bulletins, there's scripture verses for every day of the week. And one of them is from Samuel. And if you read it and you read them by each other, there's a lot of parallels. And in the original language, there's even more. Because um, part of what's going on here is God is imprinting the past on this to let us know that everything in the world was pointing to the coming of Jesus. Everybody with me? All right. Um, But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. There's probably two reasons for this. For starters, an angel showed up. Right? Any of y'all ever been approached by an angel? For me, it's just been my wife. Um, oh, she made a face at me. Um, <laughs> the, you know, like if an angel showed up and talked to you, it might throw you off your game. Everybody with me? It's like, oh my gosh, an angel. Right? So the angel shows up. He starts talking to her. That throws her off. And then he says, the Lord is with you. It's not a wish. It's not may the Lord be with you or I hope the Lord is with you or anything like that. It is the Lord is with you. So like he's telling her straight up, God is, God is on your side. God is standing with you. God is on, you know, like, like going through this with you. Heads up. Something huge is happening. This is not a phrase that's often used in, like, the Old Testament and whatnot. So it's, it's kind of a big deal, right? Um, and it, she's like, wait a minute. First off, you're an angel. Secondly, God is with me? Um, he goes on. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. He says that, by the way, every time angels show up in the, in the Gospels, um, like for the birth accounts, they say, don't be afraid. Uh, so don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, we're going to hit pause here. Mary has, is anybody Catholic? Okay. Um, Mary, over time, has picked up some additional story baggage, right? Um, One of the things that we recognize in this, and one of the things that's a major message of the Gospels is, God finds favor with us because he decides to. Everybody with me? Like, God picked Mary not because she was born of a virgin herself, not because she would be a virgin for the rest of her life. Not because Mary was really, really, really good, right? He found favor with her because God picked her. Now, as we go on, we're going to find out Mary's not perfect. And she is open about the fact that she's not only not perfect, but she's pretty low on the scale of people. She's not bragging about herself, right? Um, But God picks this 13-year-old girl, by the way, very young, picks this 13-year-old girl from backwater nowhere to do one of the greatest things that's ever happened in history. Why does he do that? Because it's God that's awesome, not us. Everybody with me? So anybody who's sitting here who says, I am great and God's lucky he has me here, you're off, right? And part of Mary's story is um, God loves us because he loves us, not because we deserve it. Um. All right, so you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So 
it's, it's, he, he, he says, look, you're, you're going to be pregnant. This is not anything weird. It's literally God put the baby in her, right? It's, this is a miraculous conception, like it's there. Um, she continues to be a virgin, um, and, and that's kind of unheard of. And in the ancient world, this would be slightly offensive. Everybody with me? Like, like if you were going to write a, a fake story to fake people out in the ancient world, this is the exact not way to do it. Everybody with me? Because, like, it was the virgin birth idea is kind of offensive to ancients. Um, and, in fact, there's ancient literature that, that makes fun of Christianity for it. Um, so he says, listen, he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. Now we're going to pause again. In, in Psalms, there's a song, that, and somebody, I've talked about it before. There's a song that they would sing when they crowned a new king, right? And they would, the song said, well, you are a son of the most high God, right? Or you are a son of God this day because um, it's this prophetic pointing forward. Because David, um, who is a great, 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 great grandfather to Jesus, was like this great king, and Jesus is a, you know, is a great king, and he's going to be a great king. He was announced a great king from his birth. Um, and, and, you know, this great king, like, like the angel announces this, like the way they would coronate a king, right? It happens again a little later in the Gospels, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, meaning he will be the king over the Jews forever. Now, the Jews rejected him, but everybody who follows Christ becomes a part of that family, right? We don't become a part of that family because we're born to the right family. Anybody born to the wrong family? You don't have to raise your hand or point. <laughs> um, but if you're born to the wrong family, it doesn't disqualify you from God's favor, right? If you're born under a bad sign, if you're born in the wrong place, none of these things are disqualifiers. Um, but in this case, um, like, like we become, anyway, this is a diversion. I'll get back to it. Um, so we go on. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Any moms here who were a little surprised the first time you found out you were pregnant? <laughs> it's not this sort of like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> how can I be pregnant? I, I'm, you know, I'm still a virgin. I, and actually, literally, it says, I've known no man. Um, but she says, how can I possibly be pregnant? This can't be true. Now, there's a couple of tricks here. First off, she is engaged. So if she's pregnant by God, right? And she, she is found out to be pregnant, which is going to come out. You can't really hide pregnant, right? Like, if it comes out, she can be accused of adultery. And, and it probably, maybe not executed at this point in history, right? But, like, certainly it would have been, like, the end of her social life forever. Everybody with me? Like, she would be, she'd have to go, you know, out to the grocery store during the time of day nobody was there so nobody would see her. It would be like Walmart at 3 in the morning. Um, like, like she, you know, she's concerned. She says, wait a minute, hold on. And the angel answers her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Um, so what happens is he says, listen, if you don't believe me, go see your cousin. She's pregnant, too. And she's very old. She's like in her 80s, and she's pregnant. You know, go see. Believe, you know, believe it because you see it. Sixth month, okay? That's important. She's six months pregnant at that point. We're going to come back to it. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Now, bond slave, English translations tend to soften this. She says, God's slave 
Um, may it be done to me according to your word. So Mary's attitude, and she responds is, you know what, I will do anything God wants me to do, I belong to him. Right? She doesn't say, well, let me check my calendar. Nope, can't fit it in. Right? Let me see what, what, you know, what's on TV today. I'm not sure. You know, I'm, I'm not sure I have time for a baby right now. I'm planning a wedding. None of that stuff comes out of her mouth. She says, all right, let's do this thing. So one thing that Mary really brings to the table is she's got a willing heart. Now, at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, young woman, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how, it, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to see me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed when, or that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, there's a long chunk. Um, in the ancient writing, this is actually like a hammock. You guys know what a hammock is? Love hammocks. Um, it's a hammock because on one side of the hammock is the baby jump for joy, and on the other end is the baby jump for joy. And when they do that, it's to emphasize the middle statement. And it's, wow, you know, the, the mother of my Lord, meaning this baby who isn't even born yet, is my Lord, like he's God, right? She's come to visit me. What did I do to deserve this? It's, it's kind of an emphasis of how awesome what this is. is. Um, and Mary says, now, so at this point in the story, make, Mary breaks out into song, okay? <laughs> and here is the song. There are two halves to it, and we're going to work through them real quick. But before we do, i got a commentary thing I wanted to read. I, I copied and pasted this into a note the, uh, about three months ago, and I've read it about 300 times since then, and when I was writing the sermon, it jumped out at me. Um, this guy is talking about um, the Jewish religion. Mary was Jewish um, at this time. The Jewish religion of that day had degenerated into a religion of hatreds. The then religious world clothed itself in its own egotism under the guise of zeal for God, um, had for the most part lost itself in a frenzy of detestations. So what he's saying is, listen, the Jews of that day had become a, a group of people that just hated a lot of people. And they looked at themselves and they said, look at how good I am. And they looked at everyone around them and said, you guys are rotten compared to me, right? And so they would look and they would say, this person's bad, this person's bad, this person's bad, this person's bad. And like, that's what the Pharisees were. They looked at everyone and looked down on them and said, I'm better than you, right? Um, and it did just degenerated into the opposite of what God had intended. The typical Pharisee hated the Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people. He hated Samaritans, meaning people who lived in northern Israel. He hated tax collectors. He despised poverty, despised women. In St. Luke, toward every age, toward either sex, towards all nations, toward all professions, towards men of every opinion and of every shade of character, our Lord, meaning Jesus, appears as Jesus the Consoler. Meaning like Luke shows us a picture of Jesus where he finds people who are crummy and he brings them back. He finds people that culture would look down on, the worthless, the poor, the, the, the drunk, the everything. And he says, come on back here. I still love you. Like Jesus came to call people back. And that's the emphasis of Luke's writing, right? We're going to see an awful lot of this in Mary's song. Um, why? Because... 
first off, Mary, Mary's not someone exciting, right? Mary is not from royalty. Mary is from the backwoods. Mary, um, you know, she's, she's not even married, so her social status isn't that high. I mean, like, there's a bunch of stuff going against her. And um, God blesses her this way. And, it, you know, she reflects that in her song. Because, and hear me, this is a song of hope. This is a song about hope. And it's about having joy in the things that God gives us. It's a song about, about um, celebrating the wonderful things God does, even though we don't deserve it. Everybody with me? Um, so 46 to 50, I have it broken up by the stanzas of the... Argh! Can you do that? It's not cooperating. Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, meaning like in me, the very center of me, points to God and says, you are terrific. My spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave, meaning slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will, be, will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. So for starters, um, in the first, actually, in the first half and the second half of this song, there are parallels. He's going to talk, Mary talks about his servant. She talks about object of mercy or favor. She talks about the, no, I don't have that typed out. Um, she talks about the lowly. She talks about perpetu- perpetuity of mercy, meaning like, so the first half and the second half are connected, meaning they parallel. Everybody with me? You know, songs are sometimes like that, where like the first line of the first verse and the first line of the second verse are sort of the same. Um, and the first line of the second verse and the first line of the second verse are the same, but they're not exactly the same because in the first half, Mary talks about herself. In the second half, she talks about everyone else in the world. Everybody with me? All right. Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the humble state of his bond slave. She says, Listen, he looks at me and he recognizes, I'm humble, I'm lowly. I ain't got anything to brag about. I got nothing to merit wonderful things from him. And he still, still does this. And he does something that makes it so the rest of history is going to look back at Mary and say, wow, God blessed her. Right? Did she deserve it? No. Did she earn it? No. But God loves us. Um, For the mighty one has done great things for me, and the holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation who fear him. Fearing God... Right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Fearing God is not about God might squish me. It's about respecting God as like, you know, someone who's created you, loves you, and actually could squish you. Um, And so we live not in terror of God, but in respect. Right? If I had a lion that lived in my yard and I could feed it with, you know, from my hand, I might not be, you know, afraid of it as in like I'm not going out in the yard, but I'm not going to do stupid things in front of it until it eats me. Right? Like, like I won't hang out in the yard and cover myself in barbecue sauce, right? I would give it good food, not one of Brooks Briscuits. I, I would, <laughs> it would be... <laughs> it, fear of God is about respect. It's about taking it seriously. I take my car seriously. I don't drive 300 miles an hour in the snow, right? Because I could be killed. Like, I fear what it can do. Um, I fear my wife, but I still love her. Um, <laughs> Which, oh, I got to smile for that. Um, 
we move into the second half of this, and he, she begins to sing about Israel. Now, when she sings about Israel, like, there's an important part of this. I said it before, I'll say it again. When, we're, when we have faith in Christ, not when we earn it, not when we deserve it, anything else, when we have faith in Jesus, when we follow him with our lives, right, um, we become Israel. We become spiritual descendants of Jesus, right? Um, so he said, she says, he has done mighty things with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. Meaning, God does great things, but he doesn't do them for people who know that they deserve good things, right? He does it for people who, like, are humble. Not for arrogant, but for the humble. He brought down rulers from their thrones and exalts those who were humble. Now, there's two ways to read this. We're going to come at it from a spiritual perspective because I think that's what Luke's doing here because um, of the language he uses. I don't want to get into it right now because it's kind of complicated. Um, rulers from their thrones. What he's talking about is he's talking about the people who know they're great in God's eyes, right? Like the Pharisees. Or Did anybody ever see the Saturday Night Live sketch, the church lady? Everything she didn't like, she, she I, somebody told me to use it in a sermon, so I, um, Michael, um, the, the church lady was a Saturday Night Live character, and she would always like, oh, well, it's clear you're from Satan, you know, and I, did, I don't do a good impression. I'm not doing it. Um, but, but she would look down on other people. These are the people who sit up on their throne and close the gates of heaven for everyone else. And like Mary is literally saying, like God has taken those people and tossed them down. And the humble, the people who don't deserve it, are the people who are getting grace in Jesus. Um, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. What does this mean? Um, two, two elements to this. First off, in the, in the future spiritual sense, the hungry, how many of you guys like, have ever woken up and said, I have messed up bad enough that God is never going to give me grace? Like, I'm never forgiven. I am screwing up worse than I could possibly imagine. Or, like, I mean, to hunger for God is to want something better. Actually, Charlie Brown hungers for God because he looks at all of the stuff and the trappings and he says, this is empty. I want something more, right? And the something more is God himself. That's what Linus gives him in the end, right? When he, anyway. Um, and so, like, like he, he fills the hungry, those who hunger for him. And those who aren't really hungry or looking for God, they're going to get nothing. And it's tragic, actually. Um, he sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. Meaning all of those people that he's, that he's like, like redeeming, he's sending Jesus for us. Because we deserve it? No. Because he has mercy on us. Because he loves us even though. Um, last line here. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Um, like this, as, as he has spoken. So this mercy that he promised to Abraham, he's fulfilling it. 2,000 years before this, so this would be 4,000 years before today, Abraham was approached by God, and Abraham said, I'm going to bless the whole world, or God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through your descendant. That's Jesus, right? And God took 2,000 years to fulfill this promise, but he did it, right? Um, and Mary says, you know what? God did what he said he was going to do. He's having mercy on us even though we don't deserve it. Um, and Mary ends her song there. And so like her song, what is, it, what is she singing about? She's singing about, I don't deserve it, but God loves me anyway, right? I, I sound like a broken record. I keep saying it, but it's the truth, right? 
Um, I have hope in the future because God has mercy on me. Life will get better. I can escape my past. I can have these things because God has mercy on me. And he's having mercy on us in Jesus. Um, That's the major themes of this. As we move on, um, the last verse of the section, Mary stayed stayed with her for about three months and then returned to her home. How pregnant was Elizabeth when she showed up? Six months. Why did she stay for three? She waited for the baby to be born, right? There's another half to this, by the way, which isn't as obvious. In ancient Israel, it was assumed that you didn't say you were pregnant until three months had gone by, right? Because then you were sure you were pregnant. Um, And so, like, she waited until she was darn sure she was pregnant, and she waited until she saw the birth of John the Baptist because she's her cousin and she came to help, right? Makes sense. Um, Why is this a big deal? What, What do we do with this song? Well, for starters... As we come into Christmas, right, as we look at this holiday, we look at it as a time of hope and a time of joy and a time of peace between us and God. Why? Because he loves us, because he saves us from ourselves, because he, he's done great things for us. Um, hanging on the back tree, this is Christmas and I love giving things away, um, hanging on the back tree there are Christmas ornaments. Um, and our ornaments this week have um, words on them. Joy, uh, peace, um, um, like hope. These words are a huge deal in this season. Why? Because we don't celebrate it because of the experience. We celebrate it because of the joy we have in salvation in Jesus. Because of the peace we have with God because he saves us. Because of the hope we have that tomorrow will get better because God is going to continue to be merciful to us. Like these are the things we have. And so as we head out today... um, I want you to pick up an ornament, and I want you to put it somewhere, on your tree, on your car window, on your wherever you put it, and I want you to look at it. And I want you to say, you know, I'm celebrating this season because of the hope that I have in Christ, because of the joy I have in God's salvation. Um, If if you're going to come at this season with anything, keep your heart in that place, because otherwise it's something we put in the box. It's singing, always look on the bright side of life as time passes by and we wait to, you know, for the end. It's not the world we live in. There's a future after death. And that future is secured for us by Jesus. We're going to pray and I'll do a blessing and we will finish up for the day. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I pray that you would bring us to a place of hope and, and joy and and help us to um, look to you in all things, Lord. As we struggle, as we hurt, as we, as we um, find ourselves afraid or depressed or anything, Lord, as, as we live our lives and we feel our separation from you, Lord, as we celebrate the birth of your Son, I pray that you would help us to look to you for, for that hope and assurance. Because Jesus came for us. Because Jesus died for us. Because Jesus rescues us from ourselves. Um, Move in our lives in that way this this week and this month and for the rest for the rest of our lives. In Christ's name, Amen.